There it is, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to this, the last DLC of 2015. Oh man, I'm excited. DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! Linda made that possible, bringing the show to you. A DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who continues to refuse to use the term Game of the Year, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited. Uh, This is a big, big, big episode. We're going to try to pick our game of the year, even though a year later, you still don't want to use that term anymore. Is that right? It's a dumb term, and because it's not, you have not played every game. I have not played every game, and we're bringing in our own biases and prejudices, and um, I get paid by Sony to do this podcast, so, you know, it's just not... uh, (laughs) I wish. (laughs) It's our favorites, Jeff. It's our favorites. Favorites of the year. Okay, so uh, the good news is, guys, we're not going to be doing this alone. No, no, we have not one, but two awesome guests joining us. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this year, not only does DLC stand for determining our list of champions for 2015, we also have a duo of legendary commentators to help us out today. From Game Informer, the magazine, and Game Informer, the podcast, Mr. Ben Hansen and Mr. Tim Turry. Welcome, fellas. Thank you so much for having us, man. Hey, yeah, I, I can't wait. This is, uh, you know, we definitely support the Game of the Year uh, moniker, but I mean, hey, that's only because we have played every single game. <laughs> that's right. We're all <laughs> Collectively, yes. I love it. Uh, already, already a tick in my box, Christian. So already, I'm, I'm ahead on, on on the scorecard. I think here. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, guess how Star Wars Episode Eight ends. Oh no. <laughs> um, so uh, Ben and Tim uh, from from Game Informer. These guys probably have even played more games than we have this year, which is why they're experts. Uh, we wanted them to have lists, but their lists are going to appear in their magazine, which is hitting store shelves uh, very shortly. Um, so they're going to be here weighing in, helping us try to figure out, breaking ties, siding with me over Christian at every opportunity, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, we're basically- magazines are hard copies of the internet, and stores are things you used to go to. <laughs> That's exactly right. We just <laughs> Thank hit, you. We hit print screen every once in a while on the internet and just run at the magazine. It works out pretty well. That's right. I, I we guess. Won't. Your guys' covers and stories. I am a Game Informer fan, even if I'm I'm not as big of a fan of maybe the parent company, the store where I go to get your magazine. Well, we appreciate <laughs> you supporting the magazine. We we want to be just like the Statler and Waldorf, I think, during this Game of the Year debate. We'll be <laughs> chiming in telling you guys... <laughs> Exactly just, where you're wrong at all turns. Just telling us that we suck at every every opportunity. I think that's perfect. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's jump into it. Uh, I there's only one show per year where I get to use this awesome uh, bumper sent in by Sean Murray. So uh, Sean Madigan. Let's do, Sean Madigan. Excuse me. Wow, Sean I was going to be very impressed for a second there. <laughs> oh, my Freudian slip was showing. Uh, I apologize, Sean Madigan. Thanks. So here we go. Uh, DLC's personal favorite games of the year. 
complete sampling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Beautiful. I love that. That reminded me of like the new intro music for Wayne's World after they got Noah's Arcade as the sponsor. It was just like way more polished than I expected it to be. And uh, really, really, uh, that, was, that was really uh, inspiring. I'm feeling inspired. <laughs> well, party on, Christian. <laughs> party on, uh, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, <laughs> well, old machine here. <laughs> uh, before we get to the actual games discussion, let's talk a little bit about stories of the year. A um, lot of a big year of of crazy news. Uh, we had uh, Kojima's year long drama with uh, with Konami and the release of Metal Gear Solid Five and to to critical acclaim, and then ousting him and cancellation of. Uh, Silent Hills as a big story. We had uh, sort of the the craziness with um, Shenmue and uh, a lot of Kickstarters uh, hitting the big time, including Star Citizen getting over $100 million of crowdfunding. Uh, we've had um, all kinds of swatting happening to, uh, <laughs> to gamers. Uh, we've had... Uh, E3 this year was gigantic, and we have the sort of the the dawn of VR coming uh, with the the first. <laughs> I know I want to bring that up. It can't be it can't be a story of this year when it was all pushed to next year. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're right. Uh, we had um, the passing away of Satoru Iwata, uh, which is a big story of the year. So, guys, Tim, Ben, what do you guys think? Uh, let's start with Ben. What what do you think uh, is is the biggest story of the year or or at least a story you'd want to highlight? Oh, man, it's got to be something that I feel like we've talked about every week on the Game Informer Show podcast. It's just the Kojima saga. Right. We're yeah. both huge Metal Gear fans, and we actually visited the studio. Mm-hmm. Was that last year for the Metal yeah, Gear Solid like, 5 cover story? Yeah, last March or something like that. Yeah, both of us were out there with an old coworker, Dan Reichert, um, and had a great time. And now it feels like we're very fortunate to kind of see that studio in almost its final days. So we've right. been tuned in like it's the ultimate soap opera. We love it. Yeah. Do you think it ultimately ended in a positive way for gamers? Do you think we're going to end up getting better games as a result? Or do you think that the Metal Gear, Sa- excuse me, Metal Gear Solid franchise is going to suffer as a result? I think what's exciting is just that we, no matter what, we'll be getting different games. And I, I, I don't know. As someone, I like Zone of the Enders. And I, I think that Kojima has a lot of like, cool ideas floating around. Uh, and just the idea that he is literally, he literally can't make Metal Gear Solid games, even if he wants to, unless, you know, uh, all the stars align and then he's able to work with Konami again one, under like, circumstances he'd actually like. I'm going to um, guess that's not going to happen. Probably not, but I, I feel like... I don't know. And Sony just seems like such a slam dunk home for him that it's hard mm-hmm. to have anything but good feelings about it. Yeah, I'm really excited to see, obviously, something new. I'm hoping that he goes for a relatively small-scale project out of the gate. I don't want to have to wait until the PlayStation 6 rolls around to play his next effort. Right. Um, and I know they're still struggling to build a studio. Like, I saw uh, Ken, who's been a producer over there since Metal Gear Solid 3, and he followed uh, Kojima to the new place, to Koji Pro again, I guess we can call it. Um, but he was even talking about how they don't have, like, a Twitter account. They don't have PR yet. They don't have any social media help whatsoever. Uh, it's, so it still seems like it's pretty much a skeleton crew over there. So it could be a while. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think we're going to see, you know, Iron Crank Substantial, the uh, the analog of <laughs> Metal Gear Solid uh, from him? Or do you think you're going to see something wildly different? I feel like he would only do that if he was going the Kickstarter route, uh, mm-hmm. which I would certainly hope under the Sony banner they're not doing that. They're not taking the amplitude approach. But um, 
I really hope to see something completely new. I love Metal Gear Solid so much, but I feel like even the hardcore Metal Gear fans, they're so sympathetic and committed to Kojima. And after every release, how he says he wants to do something new and then he never does. It's like, it's now or never, baby. So I'm hoping for just something that I could not possibly expect. I'm hoping not even to have mechs in it, which they already kind of tease that they're working with. Okay. Yeah, I feel like the, like they could make a really good killer app for the for PlayStation VR. And the fact that, you know, you mm-hmm. have... You have um, Kojima Productions under Konami, you know, they prove that they can work on a huge game like Metal Gear Solid Five, while also have, like having a little splinter team that works on uh, Silent Hills. And I don't know. I mean, if you had something that was similar to PT on PlayStation VR, you know, made by uh, Kojima Productions, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'd want to play that, but uh, <laughs> it would get people talking. Yeah. Christian, what about you? What do you, what do you hope to see resulting from this, this uh, separation? Something crazy. I mean, Kojima's been tied to Konami and Metal Gear for so long, and and as mentioned, every year he's like, and this is my, and he looks so tired and so beaten after each game comes out. And I can only imagine, you know, how much of himself he puts into those games and what the workload is like. And I would love to see. I don't know. It could be a triple A huge game, but I'd love to see his, like, what's his just weird? What's his grow home? What's his journey? What's his like something that is not Iron Crank, whatever you said, like just. What if his next thing is like Nobi Nobi Boy or something? You know, it's just crazy. Yeah. Like, what? I would mm-hmm. love to see that. And then six months later, I'd be like, oh, I wish it was just another Metal Gear. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be interesting. You know, I, I think right now from an outside perspective, we all definitely are seeing Konami as the bad guy, you know, the villain in the story. And it'll be funny to see if, you know, two years down the line, Sony is like, this guy's a nightmare to work with. You know, I, um, I mean, he has to be a somewhat of a nightmare to work with. Just right. how many resources that guy demands and how much control, at least from the outside, it looks like he definitely has over the end product. It's It'd be a tough relationship to get into for Sony. So I applaud them, but I'm also kind of bracing for what it's like on the inside there. Yeah. Uh, something you guys brought up, uh, you know, the idea of of maybe him doing it as a as a Kickstarter or as a crowdfunded effort. I feel like that that is the story that we have talked about on this show more often than any other. Um, although I do bring up VR as often as I can. Um, uh, th- it feels like this year. I know that we've had these these big marquee Kickstarters and they've been going for years and years, but it feels like this year it took it went to another level and mainly. Probably, I would say, because of Sony having it take center stage at E3 and announcing Shenmue on their, you know, in their their press conference, I think that's a kind of a new level of notoriety for these these Kickstarter campaigns. What's your uh, Tim? What is your um, your take on where Kickstarter is in the video game industry right now? Yeah, I think that this year especially we saw some really good results from Kickstarter. You know, Broken Age finally came out in its entirety, and I think that most people agree that like, hey, this was a this was a fun adventure game. I feel like they set off set out to make uh, you know what they what they planned on initially, and it ended up coming together well. Um, and I, I guess it's tough to get so excited for Kickstarters until you start to see things come together. For me, anyway. For something like Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which I know that was was last year, the uh, Koji Igarashi produced 
kind of Castlevania Symphony of the Night follow-up. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm super excited for that, but it's like always tempered by this sort of like, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know what the budget's going to be like. You know, maybe having a, a publisher in there actually helped this thing in the long run, whether it was get it done in time or there was so- certain feedback, uh, you know, the George Lucas thing where it's like without certain editors, it just doesn't end up like the unfettered vision isn't maybe exactly what you always want. Um, and so it's, I'm, I'm really excited, uh, especially because of the possibilities that brings like Psychonauts two, um, being a, a really exciting one too. Uh, I think we need more 3d platformers in the world, but I'm excited, but cautiously so, but I think we forget this year about the games that were kickstarted. I mean, we have like, whenever there's the big name creator out there, like an Inafune gets out there, it makes a lot of headlines, but stuff like undertale, Right, probably right. wouldn't exist without Kickstarter either. So there's so many under the radar that we always have to we forget to tip our hat to Kickstarter for the smaller adventures, I guess. Right. Yeah, and, and another game, Pillars of Eternity, is one that yeah. I you know, almost made my top five. Um, that I think it, you know wouldn't exist without Kickstarter. Divinity, so, Divinity Two, Divinity. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my my game of the year last year, Divinity Original Sin. Um, yeah, there's a lot of success stories, and I wonder what you guys think about mining of nostalgia for these. I mean, you brought up Psychonauts and Shenmue and, you know, the, you know, not Mega Man and not, you know, these, these sort of analogs to not Castlevania games. Do we, is that a good thing? I mean, I guess we're getting the kind of games that we all remember loving, but is that because we're not getting, you know, more innovative, newer kinds of experiences? I mean, it's a little bit of a bummer. I feel bad for the creators that are stuck in that old trap, I guess. But you look at Double Fine, for example, with Fig and Psychonauts 2. They've been wanting to make Psychonauts 2 for so long. This is a good opportunity for them. So I don't think it's coming from an insincere place. But I guess just on the receiving end, I think of stuff like the Red Ash Kickstarter, which was Inafune's second project. And I'm much more of a Mega Man Legends guy than a Mega Man proper guy. And so that was tailor-made for me, and it was just handled so poorly, rolling it out as like a fraction of a fraction of a game that they wanted to build. And then they're also going to get additional funding. And then also they wanted to launch an anime at the same time. It was just way too ambitious and they didn't have enough to show for it. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing that I, whenever I start to doubt something like this, uh, Ben will usually be the, the, the voice that, that chimes in and says like, well, well, why not? You know, what do we have, what do we have to lose from, from having this thing exist in the world? And I think that's kind of the viewpoint I have on these things. Uh, I think that we do get a lot of innovative stuff, maybe not necessarily from, you know, Inafune or, you know, Igarashi in this this instance, but there's just so there's more innovative, cool, weird games than I can even keep up with. Um, right. Especially this year, there's a lot of them that I'm assuming that we'll probably end up talking about. So it's like, let me have my comfort food with, you know, a Castlevania spiritual successor or a Mega Man spiritual successor. I want it all. Yeah. Um, what's your take on this, Christian? I know we've talked about it a lot, but... Yeah, it's... um. At times, it feels great, and it is. It's the thing that I'm glad this thing exists, and it wouldn't have happened without it. And we're seeing people take chances on games that otherwise wouldn't have happened. But I think for me, the aspect of it I don't like is the seedy underbelly of Kickstarter, where even Psychonauts 2, they gave you a lot of data as to what Psychonauts 1 sold, and you know they had to release stuff because it's on FIG and it's an investing platform. But then they said that the... Crowdfunding is, what, a third of the budget, then Double Fine's doing a lot, and then they have a third party. Who's that third party? Like, what what do they need to make it effective? How much money are they doing? What was the deal between Sony and, um, oh, man, I don't even know. What's the company that now owns Shenmue and they're doing? 
who bought the rights doesn't matter uh, but you know what was that arrangement for getting it on the platform for sony are they, how much money are they kicking in to have that be an e3 announcement you know what happens to um star citizen where it just keeps making all the monies i feel like jeff we talked about this maybe two or three weeks ago and it's like what do you need more money for other than capitalism bro <laughs> like more money so it's all of that stuff where i feel like people are are they're preying on 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 stupidity and i'm not saying the people that give or donate are stupid i'm saying that we have dumb lizard brains and we go ooh shiny and we gamble and we give money to kickstarters and it's insincere in the way they reach out to people and i think that is what bothers me the most did that yeah. make any sense uh, <laughs> the yeah, insincere part is strange why, why do you say insincere well, I feel like they come with these videos. We we can't make this without your help. This is oh, this is such a great opportunity for you, and it, it's preying on fandom. And it's where I think these games could be made without their help. I think it's someone sets a lot of these games. They sit down and they look like, look, we could do this, but why take the risk? Why should we double fine use? And I'm just using them as an example. Why should we put all the money forward on this thing? Because if they really believed in it, and they had all the, this data and statistics that shows what Psychonauts two can generate. They can get a loan. They, you don't need a publisher. You put forward your own money. And it's like, why do you need to get the fans involved? Because they want to be involved. So just sell T-shirts then. You know, I'm not paying for the Houston Texans. If I donate $5, they'll make the playoffs at 7 and 9, right? It's like you support your teams and the things you're proud of the other way, but they do this plea of like, without you guys, this would never happen. And sometimes that's true. Where it's mm-hmm. like a, a one person, you know, one guy or gal sitting in their room making this thing and they have this idea and this vision, but no contacts. Tim Schafer doesn't have that. Uh, Star Citizen didn't have that. And that's where I feel like this, we can't do it without you guys, comes across as disingenuine. And then you have like the Red Ash one, which is, you know, that the Mega Man Legends Inafune concept uh, ran Kickstarter, which is sort of like an example of that, Christian, which is like, all right, we we can't do this without you guys. And then it doesn't get funded. And then, oh, just kidding. Like <laughs> mysterious Chinese publishers, like we yeah, got it. Don't worry. Swoops in. And then, you know, they're, they're able to say like, oh, well, it was because of the, the enthusiasm that we did drum up that we got their attention. But it's like, well, then maybe you didn't need us. I don't know. Well, maybe that Chinese investor, they're just the biggest fans in the world of Mega Man Legends. True. They're just yeah. ready to go. Need that more more of that zenny, you know. <laughs> but kill some all bats. in all, it's a good thing. It's just the the cynic in me always feels a little. And I've donated. I the last thing was on a roll, the rollerblading game. I I gave I think thirty bucks to that. So I'm not I'm a hypocrite. I get it. But I I do wish between this and I guess jumping ahead to what I think my biggest issue of the year has been is the over microtransaction y. Uh, free-to-play infringement in $60 boxed games. I feel like we're just getting into this world where people have become very smart at nickel and diming us, and before we know it, we've spent thousands of dollars on stuff we otherwise wouldn't buy. (laughs) And that bothers me. Yeah, from my perspective, I I feel like... I I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that our attention is now on the mechanics of operating a company. You know, and the funding of video games. Like maybe, maybe a little more transparency there, and a little more understanding about how much it costs and what it takes to make a video game is a good thing to the end user. But maybe the idea of I want to give money to this creative person who potentially doesn't really know how to run a company, and there are companies that are companies because they needed to be companies, and they their job was to sort of gatekeeper the creative people and and fund the things that were going to make money and not. 
And maybe it's a good thing that we can get around those gatekeepers, and maybe it's not sometimes because those people aren't very good at running companies and paying off uh, promises that they've made financially. So I don't, I'm of two minds about it for sure, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out over the next few years. And if you want Definitely. Jeff to decide one way, give $5 to <laughs> Jeff. <be in> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, another uh, another thing I think that was a big theme of the year uh, is the sort of size and scope of games, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about that. I it's I always find myself tap dancing on this issue as well because it's always hard to argue more isn't better. You know, for people that you know are investing their hard earned dollars in a sixty dollar game, they obviously are delighted that there's more of that game to enjoy but i feel like the the number of releases that we have um you guys already mentioned how how many just small games you can buy that are fantastic the i think the general quality level of gaming has reached unprecedented heights this year but also just the size and scope of games the amount there is to do in a given game um what's your take on on some of that stuff Ben? It's it's intimidating, man. To like, we had our big game of the year discussions at Game Informer last week, and so it was always this mental countdown in my mind of like, I need to spend more time with Witcher Three before that debate happens. But right. it's just it's too much to consume. And just think about the amount of things that were delayed out of this year. I mean, mm-hmm. this is already overwhelming. Um, obviously, like you've mentioned, it's not a bad thing to have more content. But I know I appreciate a shorter game. I know like my friends who aren't even in the industry also appreciate a shorter game um it's tough to convince somebody to go into metal gear solid 5 which is amazing but like oh by the way uh get ready to spend a good 70 hours with that thing carve that out of your life please yeah it's it's a thing where it's like i don't know amidst all these uh these huge open world games that you can pour dozens and dozens of hours into you know you might be able to carve out some time in between it's like oh i knocked out uh undertale soma her story uh and played until dawn through twice you know between these games and you realize like how much more variety you can squeeze in there if you're not just you know trying to get to level 60 or 70 and fall out four or whatever and and then you have these more more experiences that you can talk with uh you know talk to people about and connect with them about those different games and they're always so different whereas like open world games in general uh, a lot of them there's a lot of similar stories and and ideas that that kind of start to to cross between them but i don't know it's uh you feel like you have to like sacrifice breadth or for depth sometimes to really get the most out of those games yeah it's an abundance of riches uh isn't it christian we we we, you know it's hard to complain to say oh i have too many amazing experiences that i want to participate in but at the same time the struggle is real the struggle is real for people like us i'm not sure how much the struggle is real for you know, my friend Mal, who just got an Xbox One uh, after Black Friday and is really excited to play some games. I'm not sure if he's sitting there thinking like, well, Fallout's going to be too big. But I want. I, I mean, I think there are enough people, if you look at NeoGAF and you, you follow enthusiast forums and enthusiast media, that are feeling the same struggle. But at the same time, if you tell me that I'm able to pay $60 for a game and I won't need another game for another year, I'm a pretty happy consumer. I think... To some extent, the struggle is real for publishers where Fallout 4 has a season pass. What? Like, how many people buy that? I don't know. I guess enough, but that that 
interests me because when you create a game so big, even Call of Duty, I'm so amazed that the way that they keep their annualized release schedule up and drop map packs and people do seem to consume it all in time, I feel like that's where we'll see the dip is not in the consumer, not in the player burnout, but in companies going like, we can't keep doing this. (laughs) I don't know. Well, then you have uh, Activision who hangs their whole hat on it with Destiny pretty much, where it's just like that's the whole idea is continued support to a certain extent and, and sort of selling these these piecemeal installments in it. And I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out because that's sort of the the furthest extent of the season pass type idea that you could you could kind of ask for. What do you guys think as we sort of wrap up the news section of, of our year in review what do you guys think uh, are the the big takeaways of this year? You know, we a lot of people before this console generation, um, you know, kind of predicted that it might be the last console generation that mobile was going to take over, or that uh, we wouldn't really have con- the need for consoles anymore. Um, people have predicted that multiplayer experiences would would sort of muscle out single player experiences, and yet you know these games like Witcher and Fallout have been huge successes. So, are there any trend takeaways that you see that that 2015 has taught us? Man, I, I just feel like this is the year. It took a little bit longer than we expected, but this is the year where I feel fully confident in this new generation of ours, where I can easily recommend to almost all my friends who enjoy video games like yeah go ahead go ahead and buy a ps4 buy an xbox one i mean microsoft had an amazing holiday sony's weak on the first party but still there's a ton of great games to play there um so i feel like it's the it's the year where i would no longer hesitate to tell a friend to buy a new console i mean there's still just like the convenience of owning a console is just i don't think it's going to go away like you can talk about you know oh well everyone should just have their big you know pc rig and then five years down the line you have to upgrade it and figure out oh well actually you know my processor's out of date so now i need an entirely new motherboard or whatever and you get into that whole murky territory that has like a million possible variations to it but you know you got your playstation 4 i know it can play all these great games that are coming out they're all here on one system all my friends play on this thing and if it was splintered out into a like streaming only um and it's basically you already see the examples of it like you have you know the the ea streaming service you have playstation now um if you went down the line you think every other publisher if there wasn't a console would just want to have their own streaming service it just explode in a million different directions i think that consoles anchor things in a really convenient way and consumers repeatedly demonstrate that they're interested in convenience yeah uh, i think that's true christian you have a, a thought on this i love that sentence if repeatedly demonstrated consumers are what was it uh I don't know. The convenience. I don't listen was, to so, I, Thank God we're recording this because I do. I feel like that encapsulates the trend so well that uh, I just wanted to restate it poorly so people would make sure to listen to it. <laughs> convenience is king is basically the, the, Pretty much. the idea. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, very cool. All right, guys. Um, let's, uh, let's take a break real quick and thank our sponsor, Linda. Um, hey, it's about New Year's time, and uh, New Year's is always a great time to make resolutions, and I think a great resolution would be to learn something new, and there's no better place to learn new stuff than at lynda.com. Lynda is an incredible online platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses uh, across a whole wide range of topics that can help you strengthen your business, technology, your creative skills, 
It's got all kinds of stuff about programming. You can learn how to create video games using Linda's classes, uh, including uh, HTML5 courses on, on web design, um, 3D modeling courses, Unity courses if you want to learn that engine, photography, pretty much anything you can imagine that has to do with uh, technology or lifestyle is there in one of the 3,000 on-demand courses on Linda. And the best thing is it's not a bunch of, of just random YouTube videos. These are professionals that make these videos. These are experts in their field that know how to communicate and know how to deliver information clearly and succinctly. Even better, all of the courses are uh, are transcribed, so you can do keyword searches and jump right to the moment for a, a, an issue that you need. If You don't have to sit through a whole video hoping they'll get to the point that you are curious about. You can jump right to a specific question you might have, have it answered uh, on their platform quickly and easily. It's great. Even better, we're going to give you 10 free days to check it out. All you have to do is go to lynda.com slash dlc and uh, use our promo code. Oh, no, we don't even have a promo code. Just go to lynda.com slash dlc. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash dlc. You'll get 10 free days to check out Lynda to see if uh, it's right for you. I I predict you'll find uh, at least one and probably many, many, many courses that are interesting, that'll strengthen skills that you already have or teach you new ones. It's great. I use it. I actually uh, gifted it to my uh, my father-in-law as a Christmas gift because he's interested in in learning some new skills on the computer. Lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash D-L-C is where you go. You'll get 10 days to check it out and see if it's right for you. Uh, so check it out. Uh, we thank Linda for sponsoring the show. And uh, you'll show your support of the show by using that custom URL, Lynda.com slash D-L-C. All right, guys. I know you've already heard it. But I only get to play this once a year, so I'm going to play it again because it's time for Game of the Year talk. DLC's games of the year. DLC's games Wait, Christian won't like that. Uh... DLC's personal favorite games of the year. Based on an incomplete sampling. That is true. We have not played all the games, but these are going to be our favorites. And maybe this year, more than any in recent memory, it is much more about the favorites because I think there is a wider swath of potential games of the year in 2015 than, than in most years I can remember. And it's going to be tough. We decided to keep our list to five. Oh. And uh, it's, it was brutal. <laughs> it was a brutal process. Um, and uh, I think you'll find that Christian and I have some different tastes in games, so it's going to be hard. Uh, well, to... when you made Heroes of the Storm four of your top five games because it has four <laughs> words in it. <laughs> spoilers, Christian. Spoilers. Uh, all right. All right. Let's start with uh, number five on your list, Christian. What do you got? So can I say what number six and seven were? I know. You can say those after we do your top oh, five. Oh, man. Okay, this was excruciating for me. It was so hard. This guy squeaked in at number five as I started taking my PlayStation 4 with me on the road and just found myself just really plugging away and playing and keep going back to it despite bigger, well, maybe not bigger, but other games that should be calling me. And it feels weird to say it because it's just an expansion, but it managed to Star Wars Episode Seven Destiny. 
and that's Destiny the Taken King. It took what had been a flawed product for years, i.e. the prequels, to continue this bad analogy I've started, and it made me care about it again. And it got me interested in the world and the universe in a, in a world and universe that only existed in grimoire cards before that I never read. And while they keep making me try to hate it with dumb microtransactions and now they've introduced a $30 upgrade, a subclass, and get a new character to 25 that I think is annoying and I know people are going to pay for it, whatever. Um, I keep playing it and I keep having fun with Destiny the Taken King coming in at number five. All right, Ben and Tim. Let me Hell hear yeah. you. You think that this expansion deserves to be a game of the year? I'm not sure list. if I do. I don't need Ben and Tim telling me I'm wrong. No, no, no. That's what I, they're here for. Uh, Tim, are we both coming in with the same gavel statement Hell here? Hell yeah. We were both totally like, hey, Destiny came out. This is uh, me pretending it's 2014. You looked so different. I'm not into <laughs> it. And then now taking Kings out, and uh, I couldn't put it down. I don't know. It was a really weird, surprising thing to me. But the the progression loop in that game is strong, and the progression loop was upgraded with taking King. And just the story stuff, Cade 6, poking fun at the entire universe. Uh, was... Well, that's, that's the thing. When you mentioned that you got into the lore this year, Christian, I'm wondering how much that is just because of the character of Cade 6, which is Nathan Fillion's character in that game. Well, it's it's fantastic. It and It's smartly... Written and I think even more smartly performed where Nathan Fillion, his natural, I think at this point, cadence and rhythm for delivering lines and dialogues and the way it it goes with you during the story as you're playing through missions. And um, it's it's brilliant. It's Nathan can do no wrong in this game, I think. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you this year. Like last year, I think I got up to level 24, struggled with the light levels that they had in the original vanilla game and had a fine time by myself. But then this year, just like... A month and a half ago, maybe, all my friends got into it at the same time. And that gravitational pull of all your friends playing on an almost nightly basis, I have had a tough time finding time for anything else. Whenever I have free time, it's like, oh, more Destiny, more Destiny. And uh, Matt Miller here at Game Informer, he just calls it digital golf. And that's (laughs) what it's become. Like, you just hang out with your friends and just, you know, BS around that world, barely paying attention. It's a lot of, like, starting every strike. And then being like, have we done this? Is this the one where that invisible tall thing is? No, I think this is the one where you go down that one area. You, you barely even remember it. It's the least memorable yet most fun game of the year, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, completely. The mechanics I, I work it. so well. The left trigger, right trigger is smooth for a, a developer that hadn't done left trigger, right trigger to that extent before. The grenades are uh, all the subclasses I put any meaningful time into really satisfying to throw and explode or to void or to lightning or to whatever. And they do so much right in the, the sound design. And I know the course, the music is brilliant. And of course the, you know, the backstory behind that makes me sad as well, but yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Oh no. I mean, I was just going to say like, I'm agreeing with everything that you're saying there. The guns all feel so different. And when you find one that really clicks with the way you play, you know, maybe it's a hand cannon. This one feels awesome. And then you get a different hand cannon. You're like, Oh, I like this one for completely (laughs) different reasons. It plays completely differently. That stuff's all fantastic. And just for me, like I loved world of Warcraft. I love, uh, I love games that are about collecting loot, but I get exhausted when it's about comparing like a million different stats and like, Oh, like, Oh, this one has less damage, but the DPS is higher and sets this guy on fire. And like that. So does that balance out? What I love about destiny is just like, make this number go higher. And (laughs) you pretty much know you're on the right track. (laughs) Because taken King made it simpler to see you. You're constantly seeing your number go higher. Even on the light chase down at the bottom of the screen, you have your progression bar. That's actually moving and it's meaningless, but 
pre-Taken King, there was no movement down there. Now I kill right. a guy and it's like two, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but you know, it's like an achievement that I don't care about, but I'm still happy to see the bubble go boop boop. Need that dopamine. Do we all we all love the game? Do we all kind of feel gross about it at the same time? Would you feel disappointed in yourself, Christian, if like a year from now you still played Destiny just as much? If they were able to keep that trickle going at just the right levels for you? No, I would commend them for I do feel gross, but it's because of all the other stuff they do behind the scenes oh, right. and the, okay. the press and PR for it at times. If they're able to keep me playing, I almost have to tip my hat to them and be like, well done, heroin dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least they're not charging you a monthly fee. I guess we can we can count our lucky stars there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm the uh, odd man out. You know, I, I didn't get Taken King. Uh, and I just, I don't have room in my life for another addiction like this. And I guess <laughs> I, as much as everybody begged me to do it and, and my friends that are playing it, I was like, I'm resisting because the first one soured me on the whole, uh, as much as it is fun to shoot stuff in this engine, I just was not engaged by that universe at all. And I know everybody says, well, no, taking King engages you. It's like, well, but you know what? I, you've already lost me. I'm sorry. You've already lost me. Well, there's only a bright future for you. Like, with whatever's coming out next year, the year after that, Destiny 2 in theory, like if that adds to this base game, by the time you finally get around to it, there's going to be a wealth of content and in theory they will refine the world presentation and storytelling and mission structure. And so you might be in the better camp out of all of us. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's like what people people that got into uh, you know World of Warcraft after Wrath of the Lich King or something. It's like, oh, this game is amazing. It's like, yeah, no, a lot of us have been working to get it here. You know, we've been <laughs> complaining about a lot of things uh-huh. to get it to this point. Um, but back yes. in my day, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, my number five game has a five in its title. Everybody, uh, it's uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. The aforementioned. Um, this is a game that I think I admire more than I love. Uh, it is a game that I am in awe of in a lot of ways, that what, how the systems work together and what Kojima was able to achieve with giving me the ability to improvise on the battlefield and be creative in what, what I can do uh, in the Metal Gear Solid context and taking this franchise that was only sort of uh, barely open world in in some iterations and really blasting that apart and trying new things and being very bold in where it took this franchise all of that makes me admire the heck out of this game and yet i don't compulsively play it like i do the rest of the games on my list so that's why it's not any higher but i i have to take my hat off and i have to acknowledge that this is truly one of the best games of the year of this year or any year and that is metal gear solid 5 what do you think about the second half of that game, Jeff? It, well, I'll tell you, I haven't gotten to that second half of that game. I, have, I, I haven't played it enough. Maybe I would be higher on my list if I felt the way about, about this game that I do about the other games this year that have been huge time sinks for me, and I had gotten farther into it. I think it goes it's, the other way. Where did, did you guys, without spoiling because it is huge, did the second half of the game make you love it more or hate it more? I didn't <laughs> hate it more is a weird way to phrase it, but I think my love lessened a little bit. It gets it gets clunky and strange um, and a little more patchwork as it goes on. There's a couple weird decisions that the team made over there as far to as far as how to like unlock the next episode. But by the time I finished it, I actually really really love the ending. I think there's some interesting plot details in there. I didn't have that clunky of an experience with it because going into it, I just 
I had read reviews and I knew that like, hey, the way that you actually access, you know, the the, the final few missions, just try to get them to pop and become available in the game was was tricky. I just unabashedly just i played the game as much as i wanted I, I i loved it i was totally hooked and then once they, they stopped popping up i just like googled like how do i make these <laughs> missions appear so i didn't have that stress about it because i'm just like i acknowledge like yeah this was a shortcoming of the developer like not forgiving them for that but uh you know the second half was i think my honeymoon happened with it in the first half but it, then it just like kind of plateaued and stayed consistently fun definitely the best playing metal gear game i think oh uh, yeah by a mechanically mile. yeah yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting to me to think about that incredibly talented studio over there and their first big attempt at an open world. And when you have somebody that's such a strong creative visionary like Kojima and leading up that extremely talented team and their first foray into an open world just feels bizarre. You play it and it's like, I've never felt an open world game structured like this. It's so funky and just a little bit off in the way that all Metal Gear is. But it's such an interesting idea to me to see like, hey, Here's this developer tackling open world for the first time. It's completely different than anything you've ever seen. And I really, really appreciated it. I was struck, too, by how I I felt like they just – they took this controller that everybody has access to. Every developer has the same controller. And yet somehow they managed to make me feel like I can do pretty much anything I want to with this controller. Mm -hmm. I I have almost complete control over this character. I can – put him in any physical position I want. I can manipulate the environment in a whole variety of really interesting ways. It it really made me feel a sense of freedom mechanically that I don't think I've ever felt in any other game. You can control your horse's sphincter. I mean, what else do you want? That's true. That's a good point. I think think another thing that Metal Gear does really well is it cuts out the the chaff from open world games where it can just be so much like, all right, I'm wandering around here conquering this territory. Oh, there's a little side quest over there. Like, oh, it's a race through the rings or <laughs> save these child laborers. Right. Uh, and, and then Metal <laughs> Gear just is like, it's so important, like the line that you draw through the world from point A, like when you drop into the helicopter to point B, when you finally extract, like everything you do has meaning and feels like there's not a wasted moment when you're on your mission. Yeah. And so I, I appreciate that there's not a ton of fluff in there. And I love finally that they fulfilled that dream because we're big Metal Gear fans. And I remember in the build up to Metal Gear Solid 3, in the early days, they're really pitching it as like, you're just going to be dropped off in the wilderness. You have to survive, man. You got to find food out there. It's going to be wild. And I feel like this is the first Metal Gear game that really gave me that thrill, especially the missions later on where you don't have any of your tools and you have to just get everything on site. Mm-hmm. It gives such a wild, satis- satisfying feeling. And then even if you don't go back to Mother Base immediately and then you just stay in the wild and go do some side missions or even go on to the next mission if you're in the right region, it's such a fun, immersive feeling. But mm-hmm. I do like that episodic structure as well because it feels so different yeah yeah i would say that metal gear solid 5 is one of the most open open world games and the most closed open world game for maybe it's only the first half maybe a little more than that you can play it not as an open world game at all it's get dropped off get extracted get dropped off get extracted and if you don't look at the map you would never know that you were right next to your mission your next mission you didn't need to go back to mother base Um, right i also say jeff if this was game of the year for me I would have to have it on my list for top five games of the year because I think technically what it achieves and what it does in a triumph for gaming and the way it bookends that franchise so well and also, as we've discussed, modifies a genre we all know and has been so well-worn over the years and it puts its own unique spin on it, I think is incredible. The reason it's it's not 
cracking the top five for me is as a favorites of the year for the same reason. I think we feel the same about it. It just so rarely called me back to play it. And part of that is me because I wanted to play it. I wanted to have three hours to devote to this game, not half an hour, not one mission and then get out. I wanted to sink my time into it. I wanted to play a mission and then go base build and assign my guys right and, you know, game that system to get an awesome upgrade for a gun and then put them where they're best before I go out and send them off to do things and I do things. And I just found myself, when I had time to play it, rarely going to play it. I would sit down and and play Destiny or... I would play Rocket League or I'd play Pac-Man 256 on my iPhone. Like I would almost find other games to play before I played Metal Gear, whereas every other Metal Gear, the linearity of the story, the, the narrative pulled me through in a way that Metal Gear 5 story doesn't because I feel like it abandons its story that it opens so strongly with for, I don't know, what, 15 hours before it really pulls you back into that world hard where you want to see what happens next. Brilliant, beautiful game. Uh, it just, spoiler alert, it and Destiny kept fighting for that number five spot. And it, it ends up at number six for me. And I know it's weird. I can't. That's not a spoiler. Uh, you already told you told us what your number five was. But you didn't, I didn't say that it was number spoilers six. Works. I didn't say. Spoiler for number six. I, I totally hear what you're saying, Christian. I just same thing. Where it just feels like an intimidating game to get into where I would need two hours really a night before i even start it and then it's you start second guessing it because like well metal gear is like my favorite series but i'm not calling for a second date with this lady like that probably means something that i'm not carving out this time for it but tim i know you're big on like the mother base and base building in that game that is the best idea but it was never as satisfying as people made it seem like just building out your base I felt like I wanted more customization. I wish I had like the level of nitty-gritty control that like XCOM provides. Or even then when you're at Mother Base, I didn't feel like the soldiers that I pulled off were all wandering around. If I could have seen some representation of it there instead of just a few guys here and there, it would have felt a little more satisfying. Yeah, I mean, it was a really good first-generation like implementation of that idea, almost in a way that makes me think of like the Nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor, where it's like, man, this is such a cool idea. There's some really cool stories coming out of this. I can't wait to see how they perfect this the next time around. Well, in theory, it was the evolution from Peace Walker, though. Well, yeah, I mean, but Peace Walker was so much more basic. And the, yeah. the fact that it, the way that you actually, you know, going the non-lethal route and tranquilizing soldiers and you know like analyzing their skills and then you know balloon kidnapping them out of there it was like (laughs) some of the most fun i've had in a long time it's some of the most immediate gratification that a game could deliver and then then you see your numbers go up and then you're getting better stuff like that was fantastic but no i mean like the base side of things like the mother base building that wasn't i didn't want to spend time in mother base it was just this samey looking you know militaristic this place i liked you know, just playing Pokemon with soldiers in the field and right. capturing them. Yeah. My mother base could have just been one shower stall and maybe some pen with some goats <laughs> and then right. quiet <laughs> hanging out there. And I would have been, felt the exact same way about it. Instead of just the worst target practice mini games <laughs> in history. I hated uh, all right, uh, Christian, number four. Uh, this one swooped into my memory late in the game. I thought I had my list locked down and then I was like, oh, no, wait. This game just didn't come out during award season. This game is incredible. Ori and the Blind Forest is one of the most beautiful games I think I've ever played in both its graphics and its story. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I messing up? Did you want to do your four and then we talk talk about it or am I talking about it now? You're talking about it. It's good. cool. Uh, I, good, as I dive right back in. It is graphically <laughs> beautiful. 
the lush landscape and the story it tells is beautiful and sweet in a way that doesn't involve guns. It doesn't involve objectification of men or women in sexy costumes. It doesn't involve uh, personifying these creatures in a way that seems weird at times that some games do where it's like, man, uh, the fox in Robin Hood is pretty hot. <laughs> um, <laughs> Big time. And, and it's challenging. But I think it teaches the players the skills they need in a way that Shovel Knight did last year. And a lot of these games, I feel, don't, where they just get hard for hard sake. In this game, I know it has an early escape um, that can be challenging for people. But I feel like the way it layers upon ability after ability after ability in the Metroidvania unlock and progression of the game is is stunning. And I, I think this game would be on more people's lists if it came out three months ago instead of january or february whenever it was that it came out yeah it was a not an incredible i mean if you don't count axiom verge i'm just trying to think of like 2d side scrolling kind of platforming games like i think that uh ori was one of the best i'd played in a long time and there wasn't a ton of them this year uh and i I think that helped it stand out even more but the fact that that game is so beautiful and then people would make um comparisons to to miyazaki you know miyazaki films and that's just an astronomical amount of praise but and it also doesn't overstay its welcome you know it's uh it it told a concise story it it wowed you with the visuals it had rewarding challenge and then the the book closes yeah and it's also amazing to think about that game and that it was developed from developers all around the world basically over skype there was no home studio for that moon studio is just kind of a it's a scattered organization and it's crazy to think of a game that beautiful and that tight coming from skype conversations yeah wow I mean, listen yeah, to this it's, podcast. It's not even that tight. <laughs> <laughs> Damn close, man. <laughs> uh, it, is, uh, it, is a, it is a great game. It is a beautiful game for sure. It didn't make my list. And I think the game for me that's like that that also didn't make my list is Galaxy. Uh, it's a game that I wish that I had room for on my list, but I couldn't find any place for it. But um, yeah, Ori is F- quite, quite good. Top uh, fives. That's, that's brutal. I don't envy you guys there. That's a, quite the culling. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. This year especially. So hard. Um my number four is more proof that this was a tough year because uh, I, I'm shocked that my game is that this game is as low as four on my list. But so it is. Witcher Three comes in at number four for me, uh, a game that halfway through the year was my number one game of the year. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, it's an incredible role playing experience. Uh, really awesomely told story. A beautiful open world. I think a very fun combat system, although relatively simplistic um, at its base, but still uh, provides all kinds of thrills, uh, cinematic storytelling, which is which is really appreciated by me. Um, tons to do in the world that's really fun, uh, a, a really well-designed universe. I love the story of The Witcher. I have loved it for a while, and I think that it's conveyed so well here. Uh, other than sort of boring voice acting uh, on the lead character's part. But um, it's a great game. I I struggled with putting it as low as four, but I I definitely think it's a contender for best of the year, Witcher 3. Tim, what would you think of this one? I think you finished it, right? Yeah, yeah, I played through all of it. I mean, at a certain point, I just had to like... I went into it saying, I'm going to do all the Witcher contracts because these monsters are awesome. Yeah. And then eventually it's just like, oh, I, I need to finish. I'm never going to finish this game. Uh, and I just kind of started like beelining it. And this, the story and the characters are incredibly 
uh, memorable. I, I really like Geralt. I really loved the Bloody Baron uh, sort of mission yeah. specifically. I think that was maybe the highlight for me of that whole game. And then you mentioned that the combat system was a little simplistic, which actually, for me, I feel like that held back my appreciation of the game a lot. Like when the moment to moment thing you're doing a lot of in the game is just sort of, I don't know kind of clunky and and you're just kind of like hitting this light attack strong attack and i felt like the upgrade path the skill trees weren't particularly rewarding and didn't reward experimentation a lot um at least in my experience i don't know the combat wasn't the point for me and that that did hold it back a little bit um i don't know about you guys yeah it's just such an ambitious game like i was out at cd project red for a cover story years ago when it first debuted and it's amazing to think of that relatively small team pulling off such a gigantic world and at the time the director over there conrad um because our main point of comparison back then was skyrim of course and i remember him being like our my problem with skyrim is every quest feels generic like after i finished skyrim i could not name five characters Mm -hmm. from that game i'd have a hard time naming three um and so their big mission was to make every quest feel unique and just not generic and really immerse you in that world. And I'm only like four hours in, um, but from the praise everybody else has about it, it seems like they really pulled it off. So hats off to that team. For sure. It yeah, is, that's that's my experience with it too. Go ahead, Christian. It is a beautiful game and a beautiful game on consoles. You look at a game like Just Cause 3 that is huge and ambitious and at times beautiful, but doesn't really work <laughs> unless you want to play a game on your phone while you wait for your challenge to reload. Um the scope and the breadth of that game is incredible, and it was almost the game that pulled me into that genre. I've never, I think people listen to this show certainly know I'm not a big Bethesda fan. Those games just don't pull me in traditionally. Witcher 2 I found uh, overly complicated. I never played it after they released the idiot person, Christian, you'll like these controls, which then I guess they implemented for Witcher 3. Um, it didn't quite do enough for me to keep me engaged but i do want to tip my hat to cd project red for the way they released the game their the dlc that they've been releasing for the game and they've always had i think a great mindset in terms of developers for releasing their games drm free on pc and being very forward about what is going to be the what the dlc is going to include what the price for it's going to be and they i think they've always approached that very well and I feel like they've been successful in doing it, and I would love other developers to to follow that approach instead of charging me for everything every time they can. Yeah, yeah. The level of level of praise for that team. Uh, I mean, they have a big banner in their studio that says "We are rebels." They like to see themselves as the weird underdogs out there, and they really just feel like the Polish Valve at this point with the amount of just undying love for those guys. Yeah. Um, so my number three. Uh, arrives a little later on Christian's list, but only because he cheated. Christian, do you want to explain your cheat? So I have two tied at number two, and my reason, which is not that, there's no ties. How does that work? Can we can we drop them from the Skype call? This is complete BS. Yeah. Well, no. This is uh, Travis Shamockery. You're making a, a Travis Shamockery of this entire shenanigans. So, I call them. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, you are not allowed to chime in, but Ben and Tim, you are allowed to chime in and help me break the tie. I will listen Ooh, to you. Oh. I like it to debate both of these. So I will say both of the names. These are tied at number two, and I will explain my reasons for it before I say them. One, I loved more than any game I've loved in a long time, and I was blown away well, let's, by... Let's just, say, wait, let's just say the one that is also my number three, that way we can talk about that game, and then you can say what the tie is, and we'll talk about the tie. Okay, all right? Sure, go ahead. 
All right, so my number three, which is in his tied number two weirdness, <laughs> is uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. Okay. And uh, the idea that this game was going to be better than, or at least be higher on my list than Witcher 3, I would never have predicted, although I was very excited about it based on the, the last entry Just in that proves series. you like brown long hair better than gray long hair. <laughs> yeah. They both flowed beautifully in their respective mm-hmm. games. And they both don't um, care. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh, the, the Rise of the Tomb Raider took everything that was spectacular about uh, the, the the last Tomb Raider game, built upon it, made it even stronger. The visuals in that game are unparalleled. I think it's the best graphics of the year for my money. Whoa. Uh, yeah. It is uh, a world that I just was kept jaw-dropping every time I go around a new area. I just was so enamored with how it looked. The controls the the um the uh the platforming the leaping of of everything felt perfect and just as i wanted it all of the cool puzzles that take place inside the optional tombs were interesting and very different from one another and had an internal logic that was really fun to unravel the story was cool the combat i think it has better combat than uncharted i i had my i had so much fun powering Lara up over the course of the game and becoming this incredible three arrow shooting at once headshotting awesome badass uh honestly I don't think there's anything I would change about this game I just I just loved it from start to finish did you love the oh yeah yeah because this is this is tied with something else in Christmas list tied for two for me uh Uh, wonderful game blown away like, every time I'm playing this game, like, I'm a huge Naughty Dog fan. I Uncharted 1, 2, 3, Last of Us, uh, some of my favorite games ever. Well, Uncharted 2 and, <laughs> and Last of Us. 1 and 3 are great, too. Um, and as I was playing this game, I kept thinking, like, I wonder over in Santa Monica if the guys at Naughty Dog are just like, oh, crap, this is really good. Or if they're like, we got this. I know they're different, but they will be forever compared for their similarities. What Rise of the Tomb Raider does is I think it takes the 2013 Tomb Raider, and I don't even know if it... 2013's Tomb Raider didn't blow me away. It it was competent, uh, but at the time it felt a little too big of a shift away from what everyone loved about Tomb Raider, and I brought some of that baggage in as well, so that was on me, and I was like, this is great, but this isn't what I want from Tomb Raider. And maybe it's because I played that game, and I had now those new expectations, and then when they came in with Rise, um, the tombing, the, the... there are more tombs in the first two hours of this game than I think there were in all of 2013's Tomb Raider. The, the the subtle tweaks I feel like they made to the story progression versus 2013 Tomb Raider, I think it, it moves faster without forcing you to go along. Because this game, too, is not open world. I would call it open hub. And there are a few points where I think, Jeff, you pointed one out to me before when we talked about this game, where it is like, Laura, you have to come do this thing right now. And then you can be like, but first I'm going to explore this tomb and this tomb and help this person find their sheep. And then now I will go help <laughs> you. But for the most part, I feel like this game handles that um, problem that many open world games have very well in terms of its pacing. That once you start in these compelling do this, do this, do this, um, it pulls you along pretty nicely. And then graphically it is. It is beautiful. It is it is stunning. The vistas there are parts where you are climbing around you know on a ice cliff or a rock cliff and you come around and you pan and then the world kind of zooms around with you and i think it's the closest thing i've seen to those 
God of War 3 moments where, you know, you're on this thing that you think is huge and then you see where you're going and you're like, oh crap, I'm only 10 hours into this game, aren't I? Um, Absolutely beautiful. Lara is, is strong and vulnerable in ways that I would love all video game protagonists to be, where she is confident in every step of the way, but never invincible. And um, the, the optional tombs are some of my favorite. If they released that as standalone DLC and it was just like, here's a puzzle game to go play, I would recommend it wholeheartedly. Rise of the Tomb Raider is incredible. And sight unseen, Christian. I don't know what your number two is going to be. I'll say this uh, This might be a better slot for number three. I, I'm Ooh. not head over heels with the Rise of the Tomb Raider, but a gigantic qualifier is that for the sake of experimentation, I played this game on 360. The fact what? that you would offer oh. that, the fact that you would offer that freely um, on a recorded podcast that's going to be shared with <laughs> right. so many people is just a I'm 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 a little alarmed. I have a morbid fascination with like so many experiences like Destiny and Metal Gear. It's like oh there are technically last gen versions, aren't there? Even like Shadow of Mordor last year, and I really wanted to give one a whirl. And I don't personally own an Xbox One yet, and so I'm like this is a good opportunity because I, I enjoy the last Tomb Raider. I want to see what this no, looks like. Yeah, Ben, speak specifically to the visuals and the performance. Right, I really will. I really will. <laughs> Honestly, though, super super impressive port. Outside of like fire effects. Uh, and also, like, the last area, it chugged a little bit, uh, frame rate-wise. But outside of that, really, really impressed with the 360 version of this game. Um, so I really loved platforming, and it, I, I'm completely with Jeff. Like, every—that game does such a good job, and I think quite a bit better than Uncharted, in terms of every jump, you see it, and you go, God, I don't know if I can make that. And then it feels like you just barely make it every time. Yeah. And then also mm-hmm. when you get, like—I forget what it's called—basically the grappling hook— I never got tired of using that, of jumping out, swinging, letting go, and then slamming your axes into the next wall and continuing climbing. Constantly satisfying. Yeah, by the end of the game, when you have like all of her various movement upgrades, and there's a couple of of climbing sequences where you string all of them that you have learned together, and it's it, it creates this massive sort of puzzle, but you're you you feel sort of smart in the fact that oh I know what to use here. Uh, it's I think it's so satisfying. Yeah, I mean, Rise of the Tomb Raider was a fantastic game. It was a fantastic sequel, like, taken in that context. Uh, I, I really enjoyed 2013, and I, I found myself getting, like, more and more excited as I realized we were getting another one this year. Um, I think I realized that I really am not completely... Like, I love all the, all the things that you're talking about as far as, like, platforming, exploring the worlds, the tombs specifically were all fantastic. And, and I realized, and I, this is almost paralleling... Um, Uncharted in a way, where, where very few of that praise went towards the combat again. Uh, I, I think, I think you know, Jeff, you mentioned that you really loved just, you know, upgrading weapons, making her stronger. That was cool. But, like, the moment-to-moment of getting into a scuffle and, and you know, I wanted, to do, I wanted to be elegant about it. I wanted to, you know, all right, I'm going to string together these, these headshots with the, with the bow and arrow, uh, and then, you know, I'll switch over here, and I'll do that silently, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a stealth kill over here, and then I'll set a bomb on that guy's body. But basically all I did was shoot everyone in the head with, their shot, with my shotgun uh, is, really? is what that devolved into, um, and, and using some bombs and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it just was not fun. Like, the combat, again, was not – it was better than, than Uncharted, I think. But the, the combat really didn't do it for me. Um, but I think I your main that experience, I, the, I, I definitely relied on my bow more than anything else and found myself trying to be artful, uh, with, with takedowns and getting on high ground and being stealthy and 
all those things. I, I've said on the show many times that I love stealth games where I feel empowered using stealth rather than vulnerable using stealth, like in a Metal Gear Solid. Um, and I think that it delivered that in spades. And there's one sequence in particular um, that I'll just refer to vaguely for people that haven't finished the game or played it. Uh, but there's one sequence where you're under ice and there's like red smoke everywhere. That oh, is, yeah. for my money, one of the coolest sequences I've ever played in a game. That was pretty rad. What did you guys think about this? We, we made the comparison to Uncharted. And I think that there are reasons that Naughty Dog should be like, you know, taking notes and, 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 and you know, sitting up in their seats as they as they watch this kind of action adventure competitor. Um but what did you guys think about the story? Spoiler, I thought it was pretty spoiler free. decent. Keep it yeah, spoiler, spoiler free. Uh, totally. I thought it was. I thought it was a, a, a pretty great story. I. I mean, it's very. Uh, it's very Indiana Jonesy in a lot of ways. Um, but I liked. I mean, I, the things I didn't like are big spoilers. But uh, I, you know, I was engaged with it. I, I found, for me, the the star of the story is the sort of places you go and things you see rather than the characters themselves totally if that makes sense yeah 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 Yeah, oh sorry go ahead oh i was just i'll let you let you go first christian i found it compelling yet predictable and the problem these games have and this is very just broad i find a lot of action games in general is keeping a story compelling as your character becomes more empowered and i think this game suffered from that like many before it have where you have a progression unlock um, I mean, that was in Shadow of Mordor was the same thing where I think that broke a lot of people where you were such an awesome warrior at the end of that game that you were supposed to be fighting this big bad. And you're just like, I hit you once with my sword and I won. <laughs> right, um, right. But I found the story to be very compelling. But yes, at no point was did my jaw hit the floor. Did I throw my controller and you know feel like I got blindsided by a twist or turn? It was really well done. And I'm OK with that. I, I was really underwhelmed by the story and the writing in particular uh like the the big bad did not do it for me he kind of became cartoony at a certain point a couple other twists along the way i just really didn't care about and the way they were pitching it maybe it's just from the first trailer uh where laura was like a senior therapist i was really interested to see her dealing with what happened Yamata is that the name of the island from 2013? I think sure. Uh, in the events, good memory. Of, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and the nobody's going to doubt you. <laughs> and the events of that incident, um, and instead, it's just her out of the gate killing and killing and killing. And she didn't strike me as a particularly interesting character. Like her one connection to the outside world, Jonah, um, also just strikes me as a really, really boring character. And I was not a big fan of his path through this game. Yeah, I, I have all the same criticisms as Ben and I felt like Lara just specifically too because she has that sort of like you know this is established in the 2013 reboot but she had that sort of John McClane like nature to her without the one-liners which was just that you know she was getting it was a rough it was a rough ride and she uh she it seems like she barely survived it and she's taking all those knocks and I really like that in a character I think there's a lot of potential um for how that would shape their personality and what they might say and interact with people in a situation but she just felt so underdeveloped she just felt bland and but she didn't even have characters i don't even think that she had better characters to build off of she didn't she was like probably the strongest character in the game and and i I feel like that's not saying very much for the game and then sorry just i want to take a dive into this a little bit what would you say about indiana jones in uh, any indiana jones except for maybe raiders of the lost lost ark where it's like you know what you're getting into this is the character they're going to do these things and isn't that enough you know i guess i feel like uh I, I think that they both have, you know, ingenuity in in the way that they 
they tackle certain situations. But the the weird comparison there is that I'm always controlling Lara, so I'm the one sure. that's being <laughs> the genius in those situations. But you know, Indy's. Uh, and also, if you want to make the Nathan Drake comparison, is like you know they're they're cracking jokes uh, while they're doing it and playing off of people. If you want to pull in you know Star Wars Episode Seven, like just the sort of the banter that sort of helps flesh out these characters and the action around it. Uh, I just I don't know if I wa- I don't necessarily want Lara to be some insane jokester, but I and I really want to I really want to like her because I think her design's awesome and you know Lara Croft is such an icon for the video game industry and. But beyond just sort of what she's doing in the moment-to-moment action and, you know, her design and stuff, I guess I just didn't feel connected to anybody in this game or the story. Wow. Which is, uh, it was a disappointment for me. I really like, I was ready to get totally on board with it. We also don't have hearts. We should have pointed that out. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, cold dark, cold dark yeah. hearts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, it should be said, I've... though, the 360 version doesn't have any uh, voiceover. It's all just. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no story. They took <laughs> that out. I thought that was a unique choice. Yeah, I just thought it was something about the region that zapped their voices. But all it is to say is that the action and the spectacle of it all is fantastic. I think that game controls really, really well. Like, the degree of freedom that you have with platforming and, and sort of how that opens up, how you can tackle different tombs and puzzles was all super fun um i guess i just yeah, yeah. i uh, i really struggled to with where i was going to put this was i going to put it over the witcher i really really struggled and i was like i actually had more fun with this than i did the witcher even though it's almost heretical to say because i was under the misapprehension that we <laughs> didn't have ties <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's hear this magical number two christian well so tied for number two is um batman arkham knight and the reason I wrestled with it is I think I think I Batman is my number two and Tomb Raider is my number three. But Batman has its flaws with its Batmobile, which I didn't find as egregious as many others did. Me but it was also the problem of trying to balance recency with uh not recency, what's the opposite of that? Where Old Tomb Cincy. Raider as I'm playing it and just finished it, you know, not long ago, is awesome and i'm sitting there thinking this is so much fun this is so great i love the combat this is incredible but then i need to think back to arkham knight where it was the game that was keeping me up late where i'd put my kids to bed and sneak away and get two more hours in even though i know i'm getting up at four the next day and while i think at the end they kind of pulled some punches back from some of the plot developments they had i remember as i played through them there's an interaction between um batman and a character that's imprisoned that when I saw it, I thought it was one of the most creative ways I've ever seen on film or TV or comic or any media of that character to handle a very intense scene. And then the way that um, – uh, I, I will be as vague as – I mean I think people know. But the way that a character you weren't expecting to see in this game per se is, is weaved throughout the world and the way that they use the video games to, to have things pop up uh, in, a, in almost an eternal darkness way – I loved, I loved, loved, loved it. That being said, I am a huge Batman fan. I, I have many Batman comics, many Batman statues. I have a Batman black and white uh, Dick Grayson as Batman statue on my desk. That's one of my favorite, you know, collection pieces ever. And I'd have none of that for Tomb Raider. So I think for me to have enjoyed Tomb Raider so much maybe says it's the better game to me. But Batman is Batman, and I love I loved their take on Batman in this universe that Rocksteady created. I'm I'm totally with you. I'm not the biggest Batman fan on my end, but I absolutely loved Arkham Knight, and I feel like its story didn't get its due. Um, especially, you mentioned the the surprising character. The way 
that character unfolds throughout that story and what it means for the actual struggle within Batman's mind, I think is fascinating. And especially I love the ending of that game and how bizarre it gets. And like you mentioned, using the power of interactivity in video games in a way that you rarely see. Um, Also something that I think that game does really, really well is adding little story moments in the actual open world Mm -hmm. where you'll be grappling around. There's one big jump scare in there, which is really unique. But then even when it's not a jump scare and it's actually just a character suddenly popping in as you're just grappling around, you don't expect, and they just have a good one-liner and then you keep moving. I just absolutely love so many elements of that game. The Batmobile that everybody complains about, uh, driving it is fine. It's those stupid tank battles. If, <laughs> if it was just driving around, that's all well and good. It's fun to jump right into it and be launched out of it. That's all great. Even if those tank battles, if they cut it in half, it would still be annoying. But that comes up again and again and again. And I understand they spent a lot of money on that Batmobile and they want to show it off. But in what world do they think that those are fun? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, again, I... I actually did kind of enjoy that stuff. Not as much as the rest of the game. I mean, the rest of the game is a rock-steady Batman game. The Batmobile stuff does feel inserted almost like it was from someone else. But I still think it... it I, th- I still think it fen- felt pretty good uh, for trying to flesh out something with the Batmobile. Um, but, like, and then you just layer on, like, we haven't even talked about just how good that game's core combat is. You know, just, like, some of... I, I talked about some issues I had with, like, Witcher's combat or Tomb Raider's or something. Like, all that goes out the window with Batman, which is obviously hugely influential in, in sort of the close quarters combat side of things. But I don't know. It's clearly... I think I think it's the best of the Rocksteady Batman games. Really? And I, wow. Yeah, personally. I mean, just as far as how much i enjoyed it and finally felt like the the open world was a little bit more enticing to me i i I really like arkham asylum um i really really do and for what it meant for games and meant for for batman as a series but i don't know i just really really liked arkham knight well markham knight was my biggest disappointment of the year so i i I really can't hang with you guys on this one i this is a game i have struggled on this show numerous hours of discussion trying to pinpoint why it didn't hook me because I love Arkham Asylum. I love Arkham City. Um, this game I was excited about. It just, if everything felt like work in this game and I don't know why, I don't know why I, I'm, I suspect it has more to do with me than the game, but I'm not certain of that. I, I don't, it just, it did not click with me at all. So I think it's a shame that this game too is getting left out. I feel like from many game of the year discussions. And I think part of the reason it didn't click with you, Jeff was Witcher three was still very much around and Witcher three, I think is, is getting in a, you know, you're seeing it pop up on, on game of the year lists in a way that Batman isn't be, And I'm not sure why I think maybe it's because Witcher three blew up the franchise in a way that, Batman Arkham Knight was a very nice expansion on yeah, the franchise. Yeah, I think that's really what it is. It, it felt familiar in a way that Witcher didn't. And the it, things it, that it, Witcher added were, like, eye-opening and, like, this is bigger than yeah. Skyrim. And the thing that Batman added was this Batmobile that was divisive. But at the same time, I think it got an undue criticism. And people started piling on that maybe didn't even play it. And it's the, it's the opposite of what I call the Bethesda effect, where... You know, those games have glitches and whatever, but it's cute and endearing and we're okay with it. And then this has a a feature that's not as strong as the rest of the game, but I think part of that is saying how awesome the rest of the game is, that when you're doing this other thing that's still fun enough, you're like, I'd rather be doing that other awesome thing. 
That being said, my unique perspective on Batman is, and I'm not bragging, I'm not the best at the game, I don't think I ever failed a single tank mission. And I know some people really struggled with some of the later tank combat missions. And I don't know if I just got lucky. Um, so I never had to well, redo you know, play, them. Playing on easy is, is, is a choice. Right? <laughs> I often play games on easy. Batman I play on hard because I was very good at it at a time um, before I had two kids. <laughs> uh, speaking of the Bethesda effect, my number two game is should be no surprise to anybody. It's Fallout 4. Uh, the reason that I started playing video games as a kid was to be transported to new worlds to be able to explore those areas to the idea that there was this person designing an entire place for me to be in and investigate was a magical concept and remains magical to this day and there's no company that does that better than Bethesda they create story out of the placement of trash in their world that everything seems thought out everything seems to have a backstory everything seems to uh, have an internal logic that is just magical to me and i can explore post-apocalyptic boston for the rest of my life it seems it it is a deep (laughs) rich incredibly satisfying um experience and i happen to adore the VAT system and I could be in combat. I could be killing, you know, uh, mutants and, and zombies for the rest of the year and be fine. It, it doesn't seem repetitive to me because for some reason I love jumping in that VAT system and making those cool decisions and uh, triggering my critical at a specific time. And none of those little glitches that Christian, uh, that annoy him, uh, bother me because the world holds together on a level that no other video games seem to do. So uh, Fallout 4 is my number two. Solid. Tim, you had a lot of Fallout this year. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I didn't go into 2015 with, well, one, expecting there to be a Fallout 4, let alone playing it. But I actually hadn't played Fallout 3. I missed the boat on it. I just, I tried playing it. I got through Megaton and stuff, and, and I, it just wasn't clicking. I think it's because I blew up Megaton, and then there go a lot of your missions if you're not interested in Tenpenny. I also killed Tenpenny, too, so maybe not a good call. <laughs> uh, maybe wasn't playing it right. But I went back to it, and I absolutely adored Fallout 3 in a huge way. Um, in fact, I think I'd still say that I prefer Fallout 3 to Fallout 4 overall. Wow. But I think... Fallout 4 is still, and that's just degrees, you know what I mean? There's a lot of factors that, that, that play into that. But Fallout 4, um, just the whole, the thread with, I don't think that the Commonwealth is as interesting as the Capital Wasteland. Uh, I think seeing, like, the shattered Washington, D.C. skyline and saying, like, I can go to the mall and go up to, you know, the Washington Memorial and explore these museums and stuff, that was something that was huge for me in Fallout 3. Fallout 4 doesn't have those moments as much, but it has this more interesting, you know, like wrinkle with the institute and the synths running around and especially nick valentine is is maybe one of my favorite video game characters in recent memory the agreed the, uh, the detective in uh in um, diamond city he, he's fantastic i love the weapon upgrades um you know the fact that i felt motivated to go and pop in you know points into you know gun nut just so i could explore that system more i feel like was uh it spoke well to them i didn't really love the the settlement building stuff as much i got into it for a little bit but then uh, yeah, it's it's a really consistent, fun Fallout game, um, and yeah, that VAT system, like, I don't know, I I'm I'm totally with you, Jeff. Like, I could just do that forever. I feel yeah. like so fun. I feel like it's. I've said this. I, I I'm I'm glad that people like it, but I feel like to some extent 
these games because they are so big are an apologist dream where it's like, yeah, the combat's not great, but that's not why you play the game. And yeah, the story becomes weird, and but that's not why you play the game. And the settlement, you know, that building, it's not the best settlement, but that's not why you play the game. Uh, the side missions, they, I mean, they can be repetitive and you're doing the same thing, but that's not why you play the game. And at some point I decided, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to play the game. <laughs> I don't know. I think that I think it misrepresents my position if that's if you're trying to quote me, but I I don't think it's no. not that's not why you, you play the game because I have fun I'll, fun in all of those. I'll things. quote you. Here it is. Hey guys, VR is incredible. Fallout 4 is the best. Witcher 3, loved it so much. Have you guys <laughs> okay. played Heroes of the Storm Stop. in VR while playing Fallout? <laughs> Be good all to right. each other and yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have gotten to our number one game of the year. Uh, I will go first, Christian, because uh, you it's, it surprises no one. When I'm sure when everybody heard Fallout 4 was number two, they knew what my number one was, if you've listened to the show ever before. And the fact that Christian keeps talking about it uh, <laughs> is uh, Heroes of the Storm. Um, you know, there was part of me that was like, I shouldn't put this as number one. But I can't, I can't lie to myself and say that there is anything I would rather play at any given moment ever than Heroes of the Storm. It it convinced me that I like MOBAs single-handedly. Like, I, I had only dabbled a little bit with League of Legends and Dota, and Heroes is what brought me into the fold and made me understand esports as a, as a phenomenon, made me want to go to events like Heroes of the Dorm and have an incredible time cheering and getting into it like a real sport. Uh, it... it simplifies and hones those systems into something that I find to be much more approachable and much, much easier to jump in and jump out of being in a 20 minute match rather than a 45 minute match is a huge difference. It means that I'm able to play it more often. The, the, the incredible come from behind win possibilities that are in heroes of the storm are amazing. I think they're doing so many smart things. Uh, It is, I've put, more hours into that than any other thing in my life, including eating <laughs> and sleeping, I think. I've, oh, wow. I'm at uh, almost 2,000 games played. Holy uh, Lord. Yeah. It's not, it's not even healthy. It's bad. But it is certainly my game of the year. And I, I know I will get a lot of feedback from the audience about this. But, guys, I can't, I can't front. It's the game that I've played the most and enjoyed the most this year. Uh, also, it's turning me into a terrible person. But that's a com- conversation <laughs> for a different time. <laughs> is it? Is it the characters? I mean, if you had the same abilities for these characters, but just made them all generic and not Blizzard fan favorites, do you think you still would have gotten into this game? Um, I I think that I would have. I you know the lore of of Blizzard is a nice uh, seasoning on top of of this uh, meal for me because it's because these are familiar characters to the other games that I have enjoyed. But I've never like. I'm never the guy that's going to read the World of Warcraft novel or, you know, get super into the quests in Diablo, yeah. you know? It's like, I like it because they're familiar, but the, the, the best part about it is the game is, looks great. All of the characters interact in, a real, in really fun and interesting ways. And I think that just that core content loop of fighting in those battles and having my skill, my personal Jeff skill level be the determining factor is something that has become completely addictive for me. I feel like this could have been in my top 10, one of my favorites of the year, if I had a groundswell of friends, kind of like the Destiny effect that I mentioned earlier. Like, right. Are you playing with a group of friends that really would push you over the edge? 
mostly I'm playing solo, which wow. is very frustrating sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've gotten into that ranked match hook where I'm just playing ranked games and I get up really early in the morning and I solo queue and I play like two hours every morning with, you know, by myself. So I can't even, I can't even cop to that excuse. It's just the game itself has me hooked. I I had a good time with it. Uh, I'm a big Starcraft fan. And so I wanted to at least check this out. feel like I need to pay my dues. So I went in there and I made the mistake of buying Zeratul super early on for $10 uh, and it turns out he's an expert player, I believe, an expert <laughs> character. So I just got rocked. I was trying to treat him like he was a tank, and just it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, but he had to go back and try it again. But I have a pivotal question for you, Jeff. Sure. Is the medic from StarCraft in that game now? Yes. And does it make that high-pitched squeal sound when she dies, like in StarCraft One? <laughs> no. No, oh. it's Lieutenant Morales is the name of the character. She doesn't quite make that noise, no. But uh, well, she's, then uh, this she, game she... deserves no place on your list, Jeff. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I answered poorly. I could have just said yes, and you would have never known. Someone asked if you're a god, you say yes! <laughs> Christian, have you tried this game? I got into it for a little bit. It didn't uh, obviously consume me the way it did, Jeff. But I do love the fact, and Jeff, I, I think it should be your number one and fly that flag high and proud because free-to-play games and done well in a game that is compelling you to play it, and of course, you obviously have not been playing it for free. <laughs> I have spent more on Heroes of the Storm this year than any other game, that's for sure. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that Blizzard continues to be Blizzard and do what they do so well, and I, I, I'm, I love that this game is your number one, and I love that you, it, you still are excited about it, and I think it shows that multiplayer gaming and esports and gaming in general is only going to become more and more and more popular, and I love that there is a world where this game, being what it is, is so high on your list, and then you have a game like Tomb Raider that, you know, multiplayer, what? I don't know. Who cares? Uh, can exist, yeah. and we're and wrestling. Fallout and Witcher. Yeah, and Fallout yeah. and Witcher, and we're wrestling for which one of these games is is our best experience of the year um but no it did not um it did not hook me i maybe only played 3 hours of it and i was like i'm bad at this and i don't care to get good at it <laughs> and i moved on yeah well i'm i'm to that point now where like i look at the people that i'm paired with and if you haven't played over a thousand games, I just assume you're terrible. And that's it's 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 bad. But like if people ask me like, well, what, what are your tips on on playing this game? And I've got you know we were doing a hot primer on this show for a few episodes. My new position on that is you have to play a thousand games. That's like, good advice on like anything. Is like, hey, I'm not good at this. How should I get better? Like, just do it a thousand times. Just yeah. do it a thousand times, you'll be better. But not yeah. with Jeff until you've done it a thousand. times. Don't talk to me until you've played a thousand times. I uh, know it's t- I've, I've turned into a terrible person and that's why i'm kind of conflicted about this game too because it also brings out the worst in me in a lot of ways which i'm not proud of but christian (laughs) your number one game of the year tony hawk 5 great choice (laughs) yes it's uh it's rocket league and yeah that is the game that i go back to time and time again um if they keep making childhood nostalgia versions of cars like they did back to the future i will give them all of my money sorry girls neither one of you will be going to college it is so fun. It captures that NFL blitz, NBA jam, um, fast, fluid, easy to pick up, hard to master style of gameplay that I love so much. I think the way that they it was free for PS Plus for so long, the microtransactions that they have in the game I think are fair and rewarding and they don't change gameplay at all. They've also been really good about releasing free DLC and expansions. And I, I think hockey is now out, came out yesterday, two days ago. 
Yeah. It's very soon if it's not out. Um, Mutators, the way they keep breathing fresh life into that game, that frankly I don't think needs it because the core gameplay is so good. Um, I love, love, love Rocket League, and I don't think I'm alone on an island uh, yelling that. Completely not. I am completely with you. It is up there in maybe even the top slot for my game of the year. Um, it, it completely came out of left field. Like I saw a preview of it and it's like, okay, car soccer, I get it, might be cute. But then just realizing the depth in that gameplay, it is so incredibly tempting. Like early on, you're just kicking the ball around, acting like a complete idiot. And then you start to see some highlight videos from players like Fisho Kid or Cronovi. And it's just mind-blowing the exact level of control that they have. And that's my big problem is, like, I also played a lot of NBA 2K16 this year. And it's a really impressive game, a hell of a production. But the actual minute-to-minute gameplay, I didn't feel like I was really that much in control of the situation. Whereas I feel like I'm in control of every millimeter that that car moves in Rocket League. And having skill associated with that, and it's just an increase over time... And also, like, playing with your friends and actually getting competitive with, like, four-player split-screen even completely blew my mind. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how, how good that game feels right out of the gate. And you get your hands in the controller and it just you're, the car is doing what you want it to do. And you feel like, <laughs> okay, well, then the only thing separating me from becoming a better player is just to, like, predict what I need to do and, and, and do that thing. And I don't know. It feels really good. I haven't played a ton of it for the same reason you know, that um, I haven't played a bunch of Heroes of the Storm because I'm afraid of being hooked by it and <laughs> only doing that thing. And that already happened to me with Destiny. But uh, I, I'm so... I am totally endeared by that game and the fact that it has gotten as much praise as it has. It, it deserves all of it. Do you guys think that, you know, what you mentioned about it, it coming out of left field, do you think that had anything to do with how much you love it? It's that it really... We didn't see it coming. No one saw this game coming. It's yeah. a good question. Like, if this was, like, one of Activision's big three games of the year and they were right. just pushing the hell out of it, um, I probably would love it, but I'm always rooting for an underdog. Um, and so right. seeing this small studio really knock it out of the park, uh, I'm sure it is a small factor, but you just you can't deny that gameplay and how much fun it is. And, like... Uh, Christian said just how generous they've been with the updates. And I haven't tried the hockey stuff, but I'm really curious to give it a whirl soon here. So I'm sure it's a small factor in there, but it's still just overwhelmingly the minute-to-minute experience. I think we'll find out when No Man's Sky comes out. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, So Christian, I don't think anybody would describe you and I as multiplayer-first gamers, and yet both of our number one games are multiplayer-only games. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable year. I know you guys You guys have to run soon, yeah? Uh, we can stick you... around for a little bit longer, I think. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's run through. We also, Christian and I also came up with um, uh, a list of sort of underdogs of, it, this isn't our uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, but it is games that we think no one's going to probably bring up for game of the year, but deserve another mention at the end of the year. So these are like hidden gems. You've probably heard us mention them on the show this year, but I think they deserve another mention before we close the book on 2015. So Christian, why don't we just run through our whole list? You can say a couple of words about each one as you bring it up, and then uh, Ben and Tim can can you know chime in on any of them that that ring bells for them. Sure, real yeah, for sure. We, real we have some too. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we have, uh, we have a list of underdogs, too. We think it's an awesome idea. It oh, great. Really, really, so just yeah. Real quick, to... these were six and seven, not because I came up with a list of six and seven of my faves of the year, but they got forced out. Six was Metal Gear 5, seven was Halo 5. We'll just leave those there. They were 
really fighting for my attention. These are the others. These are in no way would be my favorite of the year, um, any year, but I, I enjoy them and I, I think people should check them out. Ollie Ollie 2, uh, the sequel to the skateboarding game that is kind of an endless runner, but not precise, difficult, challenging, and um, a breath of fresh air in the skateboarding genre because Tony Hick. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 5 is garbage and is the worst thing to come out this year. Disney Infinity (laughs) 3.0 has me buying toys like I am a 10-year-old again. The art design has always been amazing, and now 3.0 is Star Wars and Marvel. More Marvel, guys. And the gameplay is fun. What Ninja Theory did to the combat reinvigorated it in a way that 2.0 was a step backwards for the franchise. Battlefront is one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. Hey, I like Star Wars. Surprise! And um, I wish there was a single-player game behind it, but it is the perfect um, glass of or, or scoop of uh, sorbet between other meals that I'm eating, and I can constantly go and play it and show my friends and be like, dude, you set, episode seven's pretty dope, right? Check out uh, Fighter Squadron mode. This is incredible. Mortal Kombat X... For a franchise that was long dead for many years as Mortal Kombat became a joke, I think after 9 and now Mortal Kombat 10, what NetherRealm has continued to do over there is show that fighting games can be single-player experiences as well as tournament-ready. Of course, Metal Gear has its jokes and—I mean Metal Gear. Mortal Kombat has its uh, tournament flaws. It's not quite as balanced as some others. Um, Also, it didn't hurt that uh, I saw— uh, my name in there. <laughs> a surprise to me in a fatality. But Mortal Kombat X, uh, 9 was incredible. I didn't think they could match it with 10, and I think 10 is a better game. The DLC release stuff has been annoying, though. Splatoon was it the Cassie Cage? is the last was it the... one. Sorry. Splatoon is a game that, for me, came out of left field and is also a palate cleanser type game for me where I don't get addicted to it the way some people do. But after I've been too deep in Destiny or I want something that's just fun, friendly, and I can literally sit down and play in 20 minutes and then move on, Splatoon is that in spades. It's bright, beautiful, colorful. And um, the way that Nintendo now has unlocked the content for that game, I think, is something that should be admired. I'm not sure that Splatoon and Battlefront are hidden gems. I think a lot of people are considering those in the Game of the Year. If anyone makes Battlefront their Game of the Year, you're an idiot. No way deserves (laughs) to be Game of the Year. Splatoon, I have people argue to me that it should be Game of the Year, but it is too feature light, I think, to rightly be considered Game of the Year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Christian, were you like in Cassie Cage's selfie fatality or something? Or how did your name? We both were. You both were? Okay. Yeah. And Jeff yeah, apparently knew beforehand, and I had no idea till I was playing it. And I was like, "That's me," and that's the thing I, I would was told say. to keep it a surprise for you. So it was that's incredible. What happened. Yeah, that's awesome. That is really cool. Uh, that's amazing that you identified that. By the way, uh, I was just trying to think like how you could get a random name in yeah. a fatality, but that's awesome. I can't wait. To, I'm going to have to go back and watch those because that's yeah. like one of my favorite things. Uh, so you guys want to go, or shall I go? Uh, uh, you should go ahead. Yeah, okay, totally. we'll save yours till the end. Okay, so here are my underdog gems. Um, Grow Home, I just found delightful on every mm-hmm. level. I had a, a, it's a, it's a game that I probably would never want to play again, but boy, that first time playing it through was, was just so much fun. That platforming style uh, I found to be really great. Um, number four, Mad Max. Uh, this is a game that I do not understand the hate for. I, yeah, maybe some of the and you missions. you hate Batman. And... Sorry, I'm being quiet now. I can't. I know. You're being quiet. <laughs> um, uh, this is a game that a lot of people have the criticism that I had for Batman, that it felt like work, that the, the missions are too similar. I did not find that to be the case. I thought it translated the experience of Fury Road or being in that world of Mad Max better than any game has ever done. I thought it it, it just 
looked awesome. It made me feel awesome. The car combat was really compelling and fun. Uh, a total underdog, and I, I think deserves much more attention than it got, and certainly higher scores than I think it got around the web. So that's Mad Max. Uh, number three is Her Story. Um, you know, just have never experienced a video game like this. It's so unique and different and great. Um, I, and a lot of people are talking, have talked about it. it. It won a Game of the Year award on uh, on television with Mr. Uh, Keeley. But, you know, I, I, if you haven't played it, you really owe it to yourself to try her story. It's so different and so interesting. And, and you find yourself actually having to think, actually having to listen. And those are things that games rarely ask of people and I think should do more often. Um, number two, Hand of Fate. Uh, this is a game that's a little rough around the edges. It certainly isn't perfect, but man, it felt like it was made just for me. It's a card game mixed with the combat from Batman. And it doesn't do either of those things as well as the dedicated games. Like, it, the combat isn't as good as Batman, but it's close. And it's close enough to make it very interesting and fun. And I love the way the sort of card-based narrative plays out and the, your risk-reward system of of, of the the gameplay loop man it's really great it's called hand of fate it's on steam and then uh number one for me is darkest dungeon and i know this game isn't officially out yet i think it comes out in a couple of weeks officially but you can play it and it's great uh very hard and brutal in a lot of ways but man such interesting systems uh cool deep role-playing uh roguelike aspect of 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 risking your people and going deeper and deeper into a dungeon and the actual what it might be like psychologically if you actually had to go into some place where demons hung out um highly recommend it it's called darkest dungeon awesome uh yeah i'll 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 have to knock out uh these these five here that's crypt of the necrodancer is one that's up there for me it's Mm -hmm. a really fun um simple roguelike but set to a um Awesome soundtrack. Um, one of the soundtracks is by, I think the main soundtrack's b- composed by Danny Baranowski, who did the Super Meat Boy soundtrack, so that's great. But you can even, like, switch between two different modes uh, or three different types of the soundtrack versions all together or pop in your own music. Like, I was popping in, like, I like the Family Matters theme or just, like, <laughs> I don't know, just, just trying to see what would not work maybe. But everything worked, and it was bizarre. <laughs> um, and uh, Titan Souls is another one that came out that no one really talked about, and I think it got kind of... Uh, like middling scores, but it, it's the closest thing you could get if you combine Shadow of the Colossus with Legend of Zelda with um, maybe like the the crazy uh, demanding boss battles of uh, of a Dark Souls game or something like that. Uh, really fun, simple little uh, game. Uh, King's Quest Chapter One. I know it's just the first chapter in an episodic game, but I grew up absolutely adoring the Sierra Point and Click games, and uh, the Odd Gentleman uh, who made the PB Winterbottom game. Um, did a great job of updating the adventure game, the point and click adventure game style with its goofy puns and, and puzzles and uh, kind of bringing that up to, to modern, modern game design and, and some, some tell, telltale kind of choice uh, making that, that carry through from chapter to chapter. Chapter two is not as great, but uh, chapter one is totally worth playing. Soma is by Frictional Games. Um, Frictional, of course, made Amnesia the Dark Descent. This is also a horror game, but it's less focused on, like, uh, avoid all the monsters that are going to kill you. That's less the point. It's more telling a psychological, sort of philosophical story about um, the end of the world. Uh, you are underwater. Um, I don't want to go into it too much, but you, you start to, to question what actually qualifies as, as humanity, as being a, 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 a sentient thing. Uh, and then finally, since it's a remake, um, it, it wouldn't necessarily qualify for my 
my top 10 games of the year but the the resident evil hd remake uh from the gamecube version that updated the controls so you could choose not to do the the clunky take controls if you if you so liked and i felt that that updated one of the best horror games um of all time awesome great list uh yeah yeah so i think uh, uh a little game that maybe deserves more praise is Helldivers. It's out on Steam and, and PS4 uh, co-op. It's very much in the vein of Magicka from those developers. Isometric, twin stick type of thing, but it's big on cooperation, very precise cooperation. It is very hard, but if you have like a group of three other friends you play Destiny with, go ahead and buy Helldi- Helldivers and switch to that one every once in a while because it's a lot of fun. Um, a game that I was really skeptical about on the Wii U until it came out was Yoshi's Woolly World. I'm a huge Yoshi's Island fan, and every Yoshi game since then has continually disappointed me. Um, Yoshi's Woolly World came out and is just a delightful time. Uh, I don't feel like it's as gimmicky and shallow as Kirby's Epic Yarn, which is the obvious comparison, but just a really great classic platform experience going through that. Um, Beginner's Guide, I would definitely point yes. out. Very much in the vein of her story as far as just a game that you could never conceive of, that you would never thought you'd play. Um, but it's amazing that the video game industry and the marketplace will allow for such a unique experience to journey through these slices and get uh, an interesting story unfolding. Um, Republic or Republic from Camouflage. There are only three episodes. And actually, I think the fourth just came out yes, it did. Uh, of a, of a five-part series. Um, but I really, really loved this series. It's started out on ios and the phone controls are not amazing but then the remastered version which is out on pc i really really fell in love with anybody who wants a more classic metal gear solid experience and is kind of turned off by the open world of metal gear solid 5 definitely check it out i really had a great time with it um and then rounding up the list is rainbow six siege which I never thought I would bring up. But again, it's a matter of co-op. That's a big theme for me this year, apparently. Um, but playing Terrorist Hunt with a group of friends or even the multiplayer with a group of friends is incredibly fun and incredibly tense. And there's a lot of frustrating things in that game as far as how it's structured, uh, even the monetization to some extent. But And also, there's just not enough content there. But definitely when that game goes down in price, which I would hope and imagine would be sometime soon, don't overlook it, man. If you've got like two or three friends and you just want a really tense experience of trying to clean out this house of terrorists, it is incredibly fun. Awesome. Wow, dude. That was, I'm so glad you guys did that because I, I totally forgot about Beginner's Guide, for example. And, and man, what a great experience this year. Um, but all of those cool gems uh what have you what a year 2015 was no Hell of a year yeah an amazing game uh, year for games um i think much to your chagrin ben and tim uh i think w- if we had to pick a official dlc game of the year the only game on both of our lists christian and i is rise of the tomb raider <laughs> no <laughs> wow so, um, I mean, that, that shows where our only overlap is. And we, we definitely have very different tastes in games. But it's kind of hard not to award uh, that game as, as the official DLC game of the year. I don't think either of us would have picked that uh, um, or suspected that. But, that, but so, here we are. So we are. Hey, I think, I think that's an absolutely deserving title. Yeah, I'm like, very I okay think, with that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know... We also do uh, board games on this show, and I did come up with the top five list. I know we're running long. I'll just read them off real quick for the board game lovers out there. Uh, my top five board games of 2015 are number five, Gold West, number four, Codenames, number three, Steampunk Rally, number two, Pandemic Legacy, and number one, Time Stories, although those one and two could really be tied. They were both 
two of the most incredible board gaming experiences of my life. Yeah, they could be tied. Now that I know that ties are possible, Christian. <laughs> anyway, uh, you guys, thank you so much for being part of this. This was really, really fun hanging out and talking about uh, the best of 25. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it very much. Yes. Yeah, thanks for having us on. I've been a big fan of you guys since since the stanky days of yours, so it's an honor <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah, this is a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people uh, keep up with your exploits? Uh, Gameformer.com. Obviously, there's a magazine, too. Um, but then, specifically, we're the co-hosts of the Gameformer Show podcast, uh, which we just took over this year. So I went through a, a slight reboot uh, from the previous host. But uh, we have a lot of developer interviews, kind of long-form, or some of the smartest finds in the industry that it, I'm really proud of. I think, Tim, you'd agree. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of games and unique Game Informer flair there. So we're feeling really good about that podcast, so give it a listen. Yeah, there's some dumb stuff on there, too, like our back-of-the-box trivia, where Ben will start reading the back of a box and omit anything that gives it away, and then we have to guess what game he's talking about and kind of compete that way. That's one of my favorite parts of the show, too. Fun. Otherwise, Uh, I'm uh, at Tim Turry on Twitter. And I'm at Yozetti, Y-O-Z-E-T-T-Y. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And we'll have to have you back on for a regular episode as well. This is really, really great fun. Yeah, we'd love yeah. to. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on over the, over the first of the year? Well, I don't know. We'll be at PAX South. I know that. We'll be at PAX South the end of January. Our panel is Friday. I will also be doing two stand-up guest sets. Oh, I don't know the place, the venue yet. But in San Antonio as well, Friday night. I think one is a earlier late show, and then I think one like might be a midnight, and we can just kind of let it go. So the best place to keep up to date with that is Twitter, at Spicer. But I am super excited for PAX South, so we'll be doing a... A DLC, a live DLC there, and I will be doing stand-up in San Antonio as well. I'm trying to think if I'm on the road anywhere else. Oh, I will be in North Carolina in February, early February. I will be out in North Carolina, the Raleigh-Durham, Chapel Hill area, doing the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival as well. So if you are out there, look for me there. Other road dates, I don't know. I it's it's uh, I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> let's do shows <laughs> well yes i will i will reiterate how excited we are for pack south if you're going to be at pack south hopefully you'll come and hang out with us friday at uh at noon i think it is uh at the falcon theater um we're, we're gonna we're gonna put on a fun show it'll be a really good time so uh hope to see you there um happy new year to one and all uh thanks uh thanks to ben hansen and tim turry christian spicer thanks to the folks at five by five thanks to all of you for listening to our show this year 2015 was a was a blast to hang out and talk games once a week with everybody so uh we can't wait to do more of it until 2016 think about what you put out into the world make it a better place 